listening to what is it? The what is it? <laughs> <laughs> what podcast are we making? It it's I have to write it down. The art broadcast. <laughs> Because I always, I've been wanting to say the broadcast. Just the broadcast. What are we broadcasting about? Nobody knows. It's about art. It's about broads. Right? You guys get it? You guys get it? It's about (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. artists that have been underrated. Right. So, who are you? Who am I? What are we? (laughs) Living in this. Who am I? Who are you first? That's a deep question that I don't have time to answer. Do it. Rebecca? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Listen, we some of us have ethnic names. (laughs) Not all of us are named Rebecca or Jessica or Sarah. I'm gonna say Claritza because that's Claritza. Because that's what everybody says. Yeah. We're talking about now. Okay. So Georgia. First, first order of business is Georgia O'Keefe. Why? How come? Because she's the mother of American modernism. The mother. The mother of American modernism. The apparently the only one, even though there are so many women. So where was she born? Uh, Wisconsin. Is that where she was born? <laughs> yes. She's oh, born right. in. She's a farm girl. Right. Yeah. They owned a they owned a dairy farm. Eighteen eighty seven. She's one of seven children. One of seven children. Right. Seven children. Seven. How many? Okay. Seven children. <laughs> that's a lot of children. That is a lot. That's too many but for it, one for vagina. For 1887, that's actually not that many. <laughs> that's true, right? I guess. I would never want. Like, people were having, like, up to 20 kids. <laughs> <laughs> she could Verify been, your sources. She could have been one of 20 kids. I mean, like, my right. grandmother, my great-grandmother, probably. Probably. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> so November 15th. Was, oh, right. Yeah. She's was a, her birthday. And she's a Scorpio. She was a Scorpio. <laughs> what does any of that mean? Nobody knows. It's not relevant. So <laughs> her birthday is November 15th. Okay. And she uh, she started her art practice at 10 with a local watercolor, Sarah Mann. So she, from what it says it seems like she always knew she wanted to be an artist according to the O'Keefe Museum according to the museum because there's a lot that they leave out here obviously right yeah they don't get into the nitty gritty of her according to Wikipedia okay (laughs) so so in 1902 her family moves to Virginia nothing too interesting happens and then she graduates from high school in 1906 and then starts her studies at the Art Institute of Chicago but she had to drop out because she contracted typhoid fever but she also gives up on art too what she does yeah because she was like saying that like she didn't like how art was just like copying someone else's art right yeah she was well that goes into the whole William Merritt Chase thing which is so she so she drops out because she can't tracks typhoid what does that do to you does it make you shit yourself i don't know who knows <laughs> it's a salmonella thing uh like e coli yeah somewhat um it spreads by eating or drinking food water contamination it must have been super like, just what a world in 1906 literally it must have been like everybody's everybody been, yeah it. tom dick or harry were getting typhoid <laughs> you know everybody was getting that okay so she gets it she gets it just right. like everybody else then so then she begins her training at the art student leagues league of new york right where she learns the techniques of William Merritt Chase. Mm-hmm. And she paints the dead rabbit with copper Which pot. is the first piece we're going to be talking about. Right, yeah. About. We're going to talk about a few major pieces. Right. Somewhere in the realm of ten mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. So, dead rabbit with copper pot, also an untitled. Yeah, that's it. I love this. I love this. You, I, which is, it's a departure from what she'll do later. I know, but it's so Durer. What did, it does feel. What year did Durer paint his piece? Long ass time ago. Yeah, 
But question mark. What the rabbit? Yeah. Okay, but it was painted in 1502. Hey, yes, I was uh, way off. I was way off. We I took art we history were, classes. I know. I have a degree in art history. Do you? Re- I didn't know that was what you're doing. I thought it was a studio art. It was. It's a double Both. major. Listen, we're terribly unqualified. I know. <laughs> it's fine. Everything okay. is fine. So dead rabbit with copper pot. Right. For whoever hasn't seen it, it's basically a dead rabbit next to a copper pot. Guess what? <laughs> a copper pot. <laughs> but it's such a good piece. Not, yeah, I mean, it is very, it's like fuzzy. It has it's a fuzzy. It's very not Georgia O'Keeffe. Like, if you look at this piece, I would never assume that she painted this. Right, yeah, it's very different from what she would yes, do later. It's like completely out of her style. There's no inkling in this that she would, you know, completely take her artistry into a right. whole nother direction. Pure abstraction, yeah, everybody. Literally. Vagina, flowers. Exactly, which is not not intentional. Hey, she she uh, well, she didn't appreciate that. We'll get into. That. We'll we'll talk about that later. But she so this painting won her the William Merritt Chase Award, um, and because of that, she went to the Lake George Summer School. Mm-hmm. Um, it's technically adept. It's warm. It's it's a really beautiful painting, but it doesn't look like an O'Keefe. No, not at all. At all. Mm-hmm. Um, but. So what happened after this painting? Even though it won her an award and she seemed to be doing really well in school, she went back home. Her family had fallen on hard times. Her dad went bankrupt. Her mom had another tea issue, tuberculosis. Everybody had it. Yeah. Hacking. We're not going to Google that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what goes into it. A lot of people died. Um, and she went to Chicago to work as a commercial illustrator to make some money. Um, and she gives up on art. I read this. Right, yeah. And then she was, she turned away. And then she gets inspired by Arthur Wesley Doe. Right. Are we going to talk about him? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can talk about him. So, 1911 to 1918, she was teaching in various states, Virginia, Texas, South Carolina, and she was going to New York during the summers of 1912, 1914. Um, but while at the U- University of Virginia, she learned the techniques of Arthur Wesley Dow. And so Dow emphasized personal style. So his belief was that art should be more of a personal opinion. It should be more of, you know, a form of expression as opposed to just copying renaissance art over and over and over again and so she was inspired by this he taught that rather than this is according to wikipedia that rather than copying landscapes because georgia was mostly fascinated with landscapes and so she learned about like abstraction about like which was bigger in Europe than it was in America exactly at the time. because American modernism was just starting should we start talking about American I mean, let's is it time for in our history break I think, bow, so. Bow, bow. I think so that's my club noise perfect bow, oh, bow, wait. Bow. is it time <laughs> That's your club. That's yeah. You know when you do that when the DJ is it time? It's not time. For what? In our well, what was what happened in nineteen fourteen? Nineteen fourteen was World War One. Exactly. The first one. Art number one. Still. What so what was (laughs) what is art? What's the intrinsic? Because modern wasn't modernist. It wasn't modernism yet. So the. The big factor of the eight late 1800s, like 1890s plus, was Art Nouveau, mm-hmm. Belle Epoque. Everything was, like, fun and whimsical. And then 1914, World War One hits. It's the deadly one of the deadliest conflicts in history. It begins with the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who is not not the band. Whoop whoop. Um, <laughs> not not. Uh, I forget what they sing, but I remember that <laughs> that video, um, which America did not get involved in immediately because we're a bunch of 
cowardly cowards. But after the sinking of American merchant ships by German submarines um, is a very small. We are never going to get into wars. What? No. But just the influence of like what was happening in the art. So so right smack in the middle of World War. I, right. This is what she's World doing. World War Two yeah. is the introduction basically of modernism, not only modernism but American modernism. Right. So then the second work of art that we're going to talk about. The second work of art we're going to talk about was 1915. She did a series of drawings, of charcoal drawings that were sort of influenced by Dow, um, that were sent to her friend, her lifelong friend, Anita Pulitzer. Pulitzer? Mm-hmm. Um, and without her knowledge, Anita showed it to Alfred Stieglitz. Uh oh, this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stieglitz really falls in love with this art and exhibits um, a series of her drawings, which is turns out to be her f- first solo exhibit at his gallery, two ninety one. Um, so without her knowledge, he exhibits them. Well, who is Stieglitz? Oh, Stieglitz. Stieglitz. I don't know how to pronounce it. Alfred Stieg's. Good old Steegs was a photographer. Uh, he was 23 years older than Georgia. Super creepy. Let's look at a picture of this guy. He had glasses and he wore a hat. Ooh, everyone he was in the so creepy. Oh everyone God. in the 20s wore a hat. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> there was nothing else. Homeboy was really creepy looking. Yeah, I guess we'll post it on Instagram. Yeah, we'll put it like a picture of him. Georgia was so he whatever. Later on, he he took a lot. He took over like two hundred and fifty photos of her in her life. Um, A lot of them were nudes. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah, very controversial for the time when they met. So he exhibited her drawings, and then. she moved to New York in 1918. By his request. Yeah, at the behest of Stieglitz, and he financially supported her, and she began for the first time working as a serious artist. Um, and then, even though he was married at the time, they began a romantic relationship. Um, Mixing business with pleasure. I mean, I'm sure O'Keefe was like a very charismatic person. From everything, it seems like she captivated the hearts of everyone she talked to. Mm -hmm. She seemed like a badass bitch. I don't. She seemed. I want to be her best friend. I know she looks like. She seems like a type. Right. Yeah. She was also very. Like, the way that she dressed, that's what they would say a lot of the times, like, at her schools. Oh, my God, her fashion is Her fashion sense was a very androgynous for the time. Mm -hmm. Like, she was all about, like, the flatness of it and the button-ups all the way to the collar. She Mm -hmm. was She was the shit. Mm -hmm. Um, So the drawing is called Drawing. Drawing, right. And she would number them. Yeah, and we chose this one. Why did we choose this one? I, it's my personal favorite. Um, And I think it's interesting that she wasn't, using color in these. It was such an important thing later on. Like the I've had a lot of beer. And I'm burping. But then again <laughs> she's like it's just so strange. Her so this cute. piece is so it's getting closer to the journey right. that we know. You know this compared today. to the first piece that we yeah. brought up, the dead rabbit are completely different. Mm-hmm. And this is really I feel like she's this coming like into herself as a woman. Because this is actually, like, a scene of nature to her. Right. She's depicting what she interprets as nature, and it's completely abstract. Like, this is 1915, and this piece is completely right she's it's not like black iris things that came next that were like based on a flower this This is is a drawing this is pure modernism at its finest right and what is the material on this charcoal (laughs) i dropped (laughs) (laughs) you said my name so proud i know rebecca because i never call you rebecca that's me i know um Here's a quick description of the piece. <laughs> well, what do we? We're gonna make like a according to an Excel spreadsheet. GeorgioKeefe.net. .net. Is that a proper way to describe it? <laughs> Who knows? The image consists, end quote, of three distinctly different parallel sections, united in their thrust 
upward thrust of I sexual. I know. <laughs> They're constantly trying to sexualize her. She, they really are, because she's a she's got a vagina. So each invokes a different aspect of nature. On the right, meandering lines suggest the flow of the river. I see that. I see it. Do you see it? But I feel like a lot of they're like forcing her drawings into being something that you I can know. easily She's describe. Like this is a blob with a this is a blob line on it. This yeah, is a blob and a bunch of lines. Basically, so on the right, meandering lines suggest the flow of a river or the rise of a flame. I see river. <laughs> I see river for sure. You see river. Yeah, I see, I see river. river. <laughs> river in the center. <laughs> Four elliptical... Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> it's like, we've had a lot of alcohol. I know. We have to... I know. I we have to loosen up to sure. get this. Oh In the center, God. four elliptical bulbs suggest a rolling hillside or densely filleted trees. <laughs> I see that as well. <laughs> I get it. It's nature. She's depicting nature. nature. Which would come... I mean, as much as she... You know, you can call her pure abstractionist, but she was abstracting things that she saw. And later she would say, like, if I saw... If I painted a a flower the way everyone else saw it, you would see a flower, but I'm going to... Yeah. I'm going to show you the way that I see it Mm -hmm. up close, in person. That's the way she did her landscapes later on when she was living in New Mexico. She wanted you to see what she saw. Interpretation was... form. I feel like interpretation was really important to her. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like... I think she feels that art is should always be up for interpretation yeah and when we look at although she did she did reject a lot of i think she had a really clear idea of what she wanted Mm -hmm. people to see like she like color form shadow was really important to her but like when people saw something like vaginas like when they were trying to sexualize her work Mm -hmm. she really didn't appreciate that like she thought it was really taking away from it being a pure abstraction, a pure painting and drawing. (laughs) Someone got an email. Um, So Light Coming on the Plains 1917 is a series of three watercolor paintings. Um, They were made while she was teaching in West Texas. She found them really successful. Mm -hmm. I think she was really happy with the way that they turned out. And she was really early in her career as a modernist and an abstract painter so I think it speaks to her like move towards form shadows color are the big things and it's still an interpretation of a landscape yeah yeah and it's not as much as we say pure abstraction I don't think that it is it's not she's not painting as much as they are emotional she's not painting emotion she's painting flowers and landscapes and doors and cactus and mountains she's not painting nothing she's she's looking at something and painting it which isn't pure abstraction but and at this point she's in Texas Texas right yeah so she's starting to get this New Mexico vibe. Right. She's already starting to become this person that we're so familiar with today. Even like the colorations of these watercolors are she are all too fami- familiar. So describe these this painting. Like coming onto the plains and it is a, it is a series of three watercolor works. Go. Me explain them. Yeah, just <laughs> So to me, it's really... At first, I think her the third of the series, it has these really nice, like, lyrical sort of breaks between the, the watercolor. Mm-hmm. But the first one has, is just completely gradiated out from really deep, saturated blues to the pure white of the paper. And then later, it, she leaves these like these breaks in between them where you can really feel the hand of the artist, mm-hmm. um, which are my favorite. I like those a lot better. Yeah. Where you can tell that it's a painting. Um, <laughs> I just, I think it's interesting when she leaves those in between them. Um, and it's a series of three. 
I think the second one is pink, right? No, um, they're all blue. The three of them are blue. Maybe it's another one that she did. She was doing a lot of Plus, watercolor. Before this, the year prior, she did Sunrise. Which is the pink and yellow yeah. one, right. It's yeah, hard to describe. Mm-hmm paintings but there's sort of a fuzziness I mean, to it that you see with her any of her works i find it interesting it's that very still, soft like i keep going back to the dead rabbit next to the copper pen right which was also very yeah, fuzzy because it's like you can obviously see her artistry she's depicting a sunrise Technically, but it's blue and it's at her translation and we look at it and if we knew nothing about the piece and if we knew nothing about her herself, we would see nothing technically. It's, there's a lot of harmony to it. I think there's a serenity to what she was doing mm. because at the time, 1917, America was in World War One. there was death rampant and she was painting these really beautiful scenes while her brother was being sent off to war. Like, she was very anti-war. She was adamant Mm -hmm. about it. She left slash was kicked out of schools in Texas because she was so outspoken about her anti-war views. Like, that, that feels really important to me. Like, she wanted... She didn't like the world as it was. Mm-hmm. She wanted you to see something better. And I she think was really ahead of her time. She was, yeah. For sure. Right. Um, and she wasn't... She didn't want to be silenced either, mm-hmm. which I think is important. Yeah. Because, it, I mean, 1917, women didn't have the right to vote. That's fucking insane to me. Yeah. Is that, like, we were... I know. Absolutely. Like, I... It wasn't that long ago. This was... A hundred years ago. Barely. Just barely. So, in quotes, in her words, according to Wikipedia, this is what she said in quotes about her time in Texas. In quotations. (laughs) This is from from her mouth to your ears. (laughs) What? The light would begin to appear, and then it would disappear, and then there would be a kind of halo effect, and then it would appear again. The light would come and go for a while before it came. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because she said it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that. So that is light coming on the planes. It seemed like she was really... She would explain her work in very simple terms. (laughs) She... (laughs) Like, light came and then it went. It wasn't like she was telling you... You're just throwing popcorn. I know. Go ahead. It wasn't like she was saying that... Like, oh, I'm I'm trying to tell you aesthetically the way that I... Like, this sort of utopian future. I'm just painting. Light came and went and now it's gone. Okay. So, So what date are we at? We are at... Basically, we're entering... We're leaving 1917. We're entering 1918. 1918. So... I mean, yeah. She was living with Stieglitz. He had just gotten divorced. She had been teaching for a few years already. And Did we talk about who he was already? I mean, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. he was a photographer. He's right. a man who... He was like who weird, the fuck a creepy-looking man. He was a creepy-looking... He, he had glasses. He cheating on women left Treat, and right. Yeah, right. Treating them like right. objects. Right, 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 right. Right. Welcome to the 1920s. And so, what is the next piece we're talking about? We're going to talk about... What are we going to talk about? Blue and green <laughs> music. Blue and green. So music was a big thing for Georgia. Right, yeah. She felt it... It influenced a lot of her During her practice. time in New York, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, jazz was coming up at this time. Yeah. Um, well, because music, like, art wasn't just the only thing about American modernism that was booming in, right. this, in I the mean, 20th century. You white know? people were painting. No, Reb. No! You can't do that! I can't say the phrase white people. No, you can Jazz. We're cutting that. Let's talk about jazz. We we're cutting that. Okay? White people are going to make us rich I (laughs) white people so blue and green music is a piece that she that she created in between the years of 1919 and 1921 she said that 
It was based on the idea that music could be translated into something for the eye, mm-hmm. which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. And so when you look at the piece, which is, if we want to talk about, like, dimensions, it was 23 inches by 19 inches. That's, like... It's pretty small. It's a small piece, but it's still worthy of speaking because we're really, really starting to see... We're, like, slowly growing into the Georgia... in terms of coloration we're really starting to see the blues and the greens that she utilizes and that her, will come to define that will come to like make her this iconic yeah you know female artist that we all know and love today <laughs> there's a there's a depths to explore there's like small little holes Mm -hmm. that you can delve into and there's like lines and forms that you can follow that I think are really interesting yeah and absolutely go into her later flower paintings Mm -hmm. and then even towards the end of her career these like doors and shadows Mm -hmm. um but I think there's an emphasis on rhythm, mm-hmm. on movement, yep. on form, color, contrast. Mm-hmm. It's subtle. Um, there's a bit of depth in there. There's a lot of depth. And there's yeah. a lot to see in this very mm-hmm. small painting. But again, the theme is music. She's again going back to what she feels. She's really sticking to the theme of like feeling and interpretation. Like when I look at this piece, do I see music? No, not really. But this is literally what she sees whatever she's feeling she's literally painting it at this point and it's still extremely abstract mm-hmm. like she's still not going into there's form here but she's not giving us an inkling of any objects again going back to the future Georgia O'Keeffe where she is you know, more literal in her subject matter. Mm-hmm. She's still so up for interpretation here, and we're supposed to look at this piece and kind of feel our own feelings. Right. I don't see music when I see this piece. I, I think it's still amazing that when she sees this, she, well, when she saw this and when she created this, she was thinking about music and rhythm Mm. and you know I'm kind of curious as to what she was listening to when she was feeling this I I mean what was happening in 19 like you know I just see a needle scratching on a record what was she listening to like I would literally love to know like what her music of choice was but I think it, it definitely informs her later work. And you can see... What is really interesting to me about O'Keefe is that you can see where she came from and that she's really technically adept and that she's always been an artist and that through her work you can follow her. Yeah. I think the next piece that we're going to talk to you all about also, right. Music Pink and Blue number two, which is a few right. sort of in between. The, it's 1918, mm-hmm. which falls somewhere in between this 1919-1921 time. So what's um, happening to her? She's transitioning between Texas, mm-hmm. um, kind of blossoming into mm-hmm. her New York career. Yeah. She's... So in 1921, Stiglitz or Stieglitz, whoever he features his his. This is her retrospective. Yeah, his retrospective, and in it is 145 prints, um, several of them being Giorgio O'Keefe in the nude. In the nude. I and that's part of it is like she wasn't she didn't shy away from that like she knew that he was an established photographer but I think it's amazing that she did this right okay so in looking up is it it awful that I just the nudes his retrospective his nudes I think that the send news hashtag n-o-o-d-z I think these pieces are let me see Amazing. (laughs) I think that like this one, it's a public sensation. Yeah, people are pissed. (laughs) Everyone's mad. They're like, "How dare you?" In the news. How dare you show? Now is Georgia. Is she well-known at this point? She's already had her retrospective. She's had a retrospective. She's had a couple of shows. I mean, and she had someone who was already established in the art field pioneering her career. Mm -hmm. And as fucked as Stieglitz was, 
1924 is when they get married. Mm-hmm. So he's already, like, pretty much focusing all his attention on her and her mm-hmm. work. Um, I so, mean, and really, who was Stieglitz yeah. without O'Keefe? Right, exactly. Um, so by 1924, Stieglitz, he officially divorces his wife. At this point, he's already been having a relationship. They've been, yeah, they've yeah. been together. They, she, you know, she she's to been, yeah, she moves to New York to be with this man or whatever. So by 1924, he officially divorces her and marries O'Keefe. Uh-huh. Then he cheats on her. So he cheats on her. Like, duh, classic. I mean, but, like, who's surprised? Uh, Who's surprised? Literally. Whatever. Georgia had had some issues. I guess. Um. So in 1925, (laughs) what's happening? Who knows? O'Keefe and Stiglitz (laughs) move to the Shelton Hotel, blah, blah, blah. They're still in New York. He's still cheating on her. He's still still And so in 1926, Stiglitz opens another exhibit for O'Keefe. For O'Keefe. For F-O-R. O'Keefe. O'Keefe. And so what is the next piece we're talking about? I'm excited about We're talking about Black Iris. Black Iris. Number three. Number three. This piece was created in 1926. (laughs) This one's an oil painting, which is different. Her large, it was the first of her large scale Right, so this one is a little bit larger. It's 26 inches by 29 and 7 eighths. And sort of what they said during this. Exhibit is that it's a lot darker than what they expected, um, and darker than what had previously brought bought her acclaim. And so it was Linda Nochlin, Nochlin, Nochlin. Linda Nochlin, second wave feminism. So she was the first Forget person about to black interpret the piece as being <laughs> as looking like female genitalia, right. And so this is what the first piece that Georgie. But she rejected that completely. She really she was she she was like I'm trying to draw I'm trying to paint a fucking flower, man. (laughs) Right, fuck off, get away from me. Stop! Don't pour your feminism on me. I mean, pour it all over me, but don't pour it on Georgie. So, but she was really upset. She was upset. She was upset. She was upset. upset. That's the way that people read her art. In quotes, this is what she says after (laughs) you know. People looked at her piece and said it looked like a vagina. She says, well, I made you take time to look at what I saw. And when you took time to really notice my flower, you hung all your own associations with my flower on my flower. (laughs) And you write about my flower as if I think and see what you think and see of the flower. And I don't. So she's basically saying, fuck you. This isn't a vagina. I'm I'm literally still being abstract. And I'm still painting a black iris in its truest form. Right. I think she wanted to express the vitality of nature. And she was really trying to stray the public away from sexualizing her work. She wasn't... She didn't... It was just the beginning. She wasn't a feminist artist. Mm -hmm. She was just an artist. She was a woman who happened to be an artist. And I think that is powerful and of itself i i myself prefer the ladies who were like fuck ben yeah fuck your ideas of what i should be but she she wanted to be an artist first and foremost she didn't want to be a feminist artist mm-hmm. she wanted to be an abstractionist yeah which she was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i mean in so- her death i don't know how happy she would be that people only only equate her work with vaginas but So, out of her flower pieces, this one is not my favorite. I love this piece. I mean, I love this piece, but out of... Out of her flower works, it's not on my top. Shelf. It's a lot darker. It than is darker. What she normally it's does. It's different. Yeah. Um, it's still up for interpretation. It's still abstract. It's an iris for sure. It looks like an iris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it looks like a vagina. <laughs> Absolutely, 110%. But then I think, like, subconsciously, what. Was she really drawing? I want to know. But this is how what good was Stieglitz as find at finding the 
But this is what people saw. Right. This they, is what I they would see. They looked at this work and Y'all, they that's said... A, that's a clue. Yeah. Yeah, they were I don't like, know what else it would be. is a vagina. And that's okay. I think it's fine. And I think She I didn't like, like it. But I think I like that she didn't like it, too. Because it's like... It's still up for interpretation. It's, it sort she of bothers me. She can't be mad though, right? Because she's what she dead, wants so she's not for a bad us man to look at this and like say what we want to see. She doesn't though. She wants you to see what she saw. True. She's painting her feelings. Her feelings. She's not asking us what we think. No. Yeah. She this wants you to to see what she saw and not interpret it whatever way you right. wish, sexually or or not. Right. But I. But again, going back, Black Iris, I think we are full throttle into Georgia O'Keefe now. Right. She's really found her style. Yeah. She's a lot more confident with her materials, with her medium. It's obvious. It's very soft. And I think her whites really speak to... In watercolor, you have to use a lot of the white of the paper because you have to let the the paint do what it wants to do. So I think that's how she approached her watercolor paint, her oil paintings as if they were watercolor paintings. Even later on with her black door paintings. And so this piece you can see happily at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Go to the Met. In the if you museum. haven't been, just go. Just and go. it is free. It's expensive. It's oh. free. Isn't <laughs> the free? Met. Not normally. Isn't it by it's donation? free on like Wednesdays. I don't know. Isn't it one of those like Google it? Let's Google it. Okay, so we talked about Black Iris. Okay, we talked about Black Iris. And Next year. year. In 1927, Stiglitz, or Stieglitz, oh. opens yet another show for he was really O'Keefe. He was really behind He was her. invested. One of Giorgio O'Keefe's Calla-lily paints paintings were sold for $25,000, which is a lot of money. It was a lot. In 1928... What's the conversion? That... Oh, $12 million. That's a lot That's of, a lot of money. money. Well, inflation. Mm, I don't know. Looking at the market value now. Um, so then, in 1927, so she sells this piece for 25 k That's a lot of money then. It's a fuck ton of money now. Right. So then she creates her New York skyscraper series. Right. Which is very different from what she would normally so do. So What she would do later in her career. So different. It, it feels <clears throat> almost like a pause in right. her normal... This is sort of... So she would... Uh, spoiler alert, have a mental breakdown pretty soon. Um, so 1927, she's sort of capturing the drama of New York City. There was a lot of up-and-coming skyscrapers and, like, Rockefeller. Yeah. And it's, like, it, people with a lot of money to spend. Mm-hmm. And New York City was really coming up. There's parties and just iron iron abound um and she illustrates sort of the allure of the american dream and its commercial spirit well at this point she's living ass deep in new york city ass deep she's at this point living in the shelton hotel with her husband which she also painted stieglitz shiglitz Stiglitz, Steves. Um, and so it's said that this apartment had extensive views of the city. And this is, like, essentially what motivates her to paint the New York skyscrapers. Right. It's a lot about nationalism. Yes. It's a lot about... Like, as I said before, the American dream. It was really coming into its own, like, 1920s. And it's interesting because... It's hit its stride. She's expressed, you know, multiple times that she left the city. I mean, the Georgia we know is this, like, New Mexico, you know, skull-painting woman. I think she was also afraid of it. A lot of her paintings were really about death. Like, if you think about the cow skulls, they're a memento mori in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a skull. So so describe this piece, Reb. Me? Rebecca. I mean, you can really feel the imposing nature of the skyscrapers. You're looking up at them. You're not level on level ground with the skyscrapers. You can feel it's 
towering structure and the lights and and it's really Mm -hmm. drastic Mm -hmm. there's a lot of darks there's a lot of lights and nothing really in between that which is different from what she normally does these really beautiful gradients that we had already talked about in the sunset series of when she was in the southwest it's very different i think she loved new york city but it was also very afraid of the booming american markets and it was it was in between it was the interwar time like world war two had ended and world war right or world war one had ended right, and the right, second right, world right, right. war hadn't started and yet so at this point she's looking for something Sir. very grand yeah. so at this point in new york um the shelton hotel was one of the you know, New York City's tallest skyscrapers Mm -hmm. at this point. So she really is getting an incredible view of New York City. And again, she's painting what she feels and what she sees. Less abstract this time. Less less open for interpretation. She's very literal. But you can still see the same colorations. And even in, like, the corner of this piece, you can still see kind of, like, her... Like, she's trying to sneak in Right, there's a little smoke and a little... Yeah, like, she's still sneaking in her, like, signature floral flow. She would also come to have a relationship with Frida Kahlo, which I think is really interesting, is that they would write letters back and forth to each other, and they were both really... They had a a liberal spirit about them, even though they Remember, I wanted to actually... For this episode, I really wanted to actually read and transcribe those letters. I wanted to read a lot of her. She was transcribing with Frida Kahlo... Um, the two most famous yes, female like artists in the, America. The two most famous, like, well-known female well, artists <laughs> were writing to each other. Right, under which is incredible. Incredible, and I, I have to look this up. Eventually, I think I want to do Frida, but it, she's been so done already everyone knows know. what she looks well, like and I, was, I we were talking about this the other day that Frida Kahlo has become it, it's I'm sure people in this generation have seen less of her work and more of her iconicized yeah yeah like they have, which she would fucking hate I know she hated capitalism she hated commercialization of of products so, she did she was a communist like she would hate this yeah absolutely so side note Frida Kahlo is corresponding with Georgia O'Keeffe, 26-year-old Frida Kahlo. After she loses Is corresponding the with 46-year-old Georgia O'Keeffe. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like... Just like such vibrant personality. So this is a quotation. I'm not sure this is from the website brainpickings.org. <laughs> I just cite your sources. And it says, I would like to tell you everything that happened to me since the last time we saw each other. Who is this to who? I'm not sure. It doesn't specify. But most of them are sad, and you mustn't know sad things now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so chilling. Can you imagine? Right. Georgia O'Keefe and Frida Kahlo were both pro prolific letter writers yeah they both correspond you couldn't text someone you couldn't no can you imagine and they called each other best friends right which is so fucking cute it's like a dream come true right it's really what you could it's like the like the it's as if like i stand (laughs) them i mean right yeah I stand them for sure. I was bisexual. She was. She was just like I'm sure a vivacious person. Like I'm sure her personality was infectious. Like I can't imagine anyone coming up to her and not wanting to impress her immediately. Like that's what I imagine. This is this is the letter that Frida Kahlo. So it says here. Um, in a letter from March 1st, 1933. So we're, we're kind we're of jumping We're a little, we're jumping ahead. around, but it's fine. Um, she writes, it's a long, it's a long letter. We can cut it out. <laughs> it. it says, this is Frida to Georgia. It says, Georgia, was wonderful to hear your voice again. Every day since I called you and many times before months ago, I wanted to write you a letter. I wrote you many, but everyone seemed more stupid and empty and I tore them up. Mm. I can't write in English all that I would like to tell you, especially to you. 
I am sending this one because I promised it to you. I felt terrible when Sybil Brown told me that you were sick. Is this... Yeah, I think this is around the time when she had her mental okay. breakdown, yeah. But I still don't know what is the matter with you. So, right now, pausing, Frida is addressing the mental breakdown that... Right, she lost a commission. ...what will, uh, will eventually go through, and we'll touch base on that. Right. Please, Georgia, dear, if you can't write, ask Stiglitz to do it for you, and let me know how are you feeling, will you? I will be in I will be in Detroit two more weeks. I would like to tell you everything that happened to me since the last time we saw each other. But most of them are sad, and you mustn't know sad things now. After all, I shouldn't complain, because I have been happy in many ways. Diego is good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Girl. And you can't imagine how happy he has been working on the, and the frescoes here. This is probably... Frida is... 26 at this point mm. she still hasn't reached her 20 that's her younger high. than uh, i am well, now well, we're gonna get into frida so we don't let's not get right into right well, i have been it. painting a little too at this point she's been painting a little i have been painting a little too and that helped i thought of you a lot and never forget your wonderful hands and the color of your eyes i will see you soon i am sure that in new york i will be much happier if you still in the hospital when i come back i will bring you flowers but it is so difficult to find the ones i would like for you fuck it's just so cute right it's pretty cute i would be so happy if you could write me even two words i like you very much georgia frida Right, because they Woo! didn't know each other very but they're well. In love. They're right, besties. They did. Right. They I feel like they had a God. connection. They it's so hard passionately. to know. I like you very much, Georgia. I mean, how interesting that they were both going through very similar things within their relationships. Right. Um, I'm sure in very different ways, but I mean, Diego, as we all know the story, was constantly unfaithful. Frida as well. Right. Frida had her own love triangles, <laughs> she, male and She female. had the things she wanted she to was do. A boss. Right. I think they, Frida and Diego had more of an understanding you know then Stieglitz and O'Keefe yeah but I I don't I resist the urge to talk about O'Keefe and Kahlo strictly by their relationships because that's a lot of the default of female artists is that they are only interesting because of the lives that they led but that they were both making really beautiful paintings that mean a lot to American culture and Mm -hmm. painting and and drawing in general like they it's downplayed their contributions to art in general so so (laughs) the next piece we're going to talk to kind of happened a couple years before these correspondence Mm -hmm. it's the cow skull red white very famous this piece we're we're now we are now as deep in the georgia o'keefe that art historians that this generation probably knows today cow skull i think it's kind of interesting red white and blue right is uh, 1931 another oil on canvas i think she's she's moved towards oil yeah she she's she's definitely moved away from watercolors although i look at her works and i'm like she wants to do watercolors she's she she has a very fluid way of painting and her coloration is just very very light subtle very yeah but very light her layering is just so simple it's not as saturated a lot of yeah. Although this one is probably one of her most saturated, as opposed to the nor- uh, the New York of uh, the Radiator Building, that right. obviously is very dark, very, very dark. you know, the less color the better. And at this point, 1930, she moves to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. She she is now full blown. After she's been cheated on, she's done with New York. She's for, done with New York. She's looking for well. 1930, Stiglitz opens yet another show. Much like pulling. He's riding that train. Success. He oh, knew. Yeah. He oh, knew. Because yeah. he's living his life, and he. But he he's he's polarizing her success for sure. Absolutely. So in 1930, he, he opens man. another exhibition for Georgia. And 
and it is entitled as so. Georgia O'Keeffe, 27 new paintings, New Mexico, New York, Lake George, etc., an American place. He's still representing her. He like, is. Like, you know, I mean, he's cheating on her. She knows she's che- he's cheating on her. He, she stayed with him until he died. Yeah, for sure. She wanted that peach. So she's in New Mexico. She's in New Mexico, 1931, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. paints. She starting to paint her skulls her cow right. skulls right um this is amazing she's this it's is, one of my favorite paintings. yes i think yeah it's a, it's tied to a lot of this the idea of the american I mean, dream yes the american the great american what was story. happening at the time in america we were pre-world war ii well we are we are as deep in the center i really like of, the ass deep yeah we are we are we are really deep in this transition from world war one to world war II. interwar period this is also known as this is the introduction of american modernism we be fucked she really fell in love with the Southwest and a lot of its landscapes, and that's what and I mean, informed her work. Look at this piece. She she is declaring American pride with this piece. Yeah. This piece is depicting a red, white, and blue um, with a skull. There's a bit of mortality. Um, she is entering a more spiritual realm at this point. I think she's really... I think she's not highlighting american patriotism i think she is she's poking it she's yeah. never felt right. particularly right. right pro-war but this skull here as i read is depicting actually jesus christ she's talking right. about it's on the sort of which specific which like at this point in time is a very american thing mm-hmm. and this piece takes me all the way back to our dead rabbit Dead. To our dead rabbit in, in, the, in our copper. She is going back to her academia roots. You can it's, see it's there's detail here. More realistic yeah, than a lot of it's her. Way more it's real. not music she, number three or She's whatever. a lot more confident in her technique at this point. Mm-hmm. So, 1932. What 32. happens? She accepts a very interesting commission. Tell us about that, Rebecca. What What commission did she accept? This is the radio City Music Hall Commission. Right. Let's talk about it. So she accepts the commission and then sort of her personal life takes control of her emotions and she loses the commission and doesn't paint for several years because of her mental breakdown. Um, Despite the fact that Stieglitz cheats on her and... I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of other things happening in her life, but I'm sure that was a big catalyst Mm -hmm. for what would eventually happen. So she doesn't begin painting again until 1934, several years later. Right. Um, And so a lot of things goes on. Stiglitz is still exhibiting her work. They're living in completely different places. She's she's spending a a majority of her time in the and, Southwest. Right. She's obviously attached to Stiglitz. So in 1944, she paints. She paints again. She paints again. For herself. Right. And so she paints one of her favorite scenes in New Mexico, which she, well, one of her favorite sites in New Mexico. The um, Black Place. She, play, she paints um, a series called The Black Place. Um, the one we're talking about is number two, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so this piece is 1944. It's oil on canvas. It's 23 by 7 eighths. And this is a common dimension for her, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still a part of Stiglitz's collection. Mm-hmm. So she would paint um, this place really frequently mm-hmm. in her career. Over 14 years, yeah. from 35 to 49, um, is sort of a whirlwind of work. It served as an area that interested her aesthetically and pers- pushed her further toward her abstraction. Um, she would paint in her Model T Ford, um, which is kind of insane, but like one of the first cars. Um, 
it was one of her pl- favorite places to, pl- to paint. It would keep her away from the heat and bees. Right, right. But she used to paint in her car. In her car. Is, which is kind of interesting, which is like... Yeah, absolutely. You know, kind of like a reality check. It's like, you know, it's not always peaches and cream. She, I don't... Even up until her death, right. I don't think she would shy so, away from them. I like this piece. Mm-hmm. It's very dark. I feel like... I don't want to overinterpret this piece either, because, like, yeah, okay, we, you and I both know she was going through some shit around some shit. this time. Like, spoiler alert, <laughs> Stiglitz, Stieglitz, he dies in the next year. Mm-hmm. What does he die of, Rev? I don't know. I don't know either. Being dickhole. Who knows? You guys have just oh my god, any stigmas <laughs> relatives <laughs> that listen to get sued. Who cheats on Giorgio O'Keefe? Just a is disclaimer. We don't know shit. We're, we, just we're like, terribly we unqualified. <laughs> we don't have any money. We don't know shit. Please don't sue us. We're just bored. Um, <laughs> so the black place. I think it's a beautiful piece. I, I think it. it's like a super dark time in her life, but mm-hmm. she's depicting it. I don't know. I don't know that that's true. I think she. I mean, yeah. I think she's going through some shit. Like she's using black in a very literal. She died at 98. She painted up until her death, even though she couldn't see because she had macular degeneration. Yes. Okay, good. Um, so we're going to move around because... Right. It's a, her her last years are kind of... I mean, as you do, what I want to do is just... She did whatever the fuck she wanted. She was living in New York... Or New Mexico, kind of painting yeah, her... So she her, painted her door a lot. Right. Her brother dies in 1959. Mm-hmm. She travels to San Francisco and then Honolulu. And then the 1960s, she helps organize um, one of, an exhibit without Stiglitz because at this point he's already passed away. He's straight dead. And now her siblings are dying and mm-hmm. she's getting older. She's old. Um yeah, he he died after he suffered a fatal stroke in 1946 at the age of 82. Um Georgia who was 23 years his junior. Um I like him. <laughs> you're into it I mean Creeper when she was like 19 and he was really into her but whatever she stayed with him until he died even though motherfucker tr- cheated on her right which we were talking about yeah Stieglitz like, Stieglitz we're yeah. still talking about Stieglitz? I don't know he just died because she meets she becomes and doesn't she like fall in love with some other guy ooh Hamilton? Who's Hamilton? Who's Juan? Who's Juan, Juan Hamilton? Juan. So she meets Potter sculptor Juan Hamilton in mm-hmm. 1973. She moves in with this him is like and 20, 30 years later. Um and so the last piece we're gonna talk about is my last door. My last door. Uh, which is actually not her last door. Which this is, is not the end. last time she painted this door. I'm done. <laughs> Clarice's laptop has died. I've died. Um, so this isn't the last time she painted this door that she was really fascinated with. It's the reason why, she says, the reason why she bought this home in New Mexico. Um, so she uses a, the one we're talking about is from 1952. She uses a restricted palette, um, sort of her trademark mm-hmm. since her early career, mm-hmm. um, anchored by a, a black rectangle in the midst of these beige off-white colors. Um, She's really accentuating the horizontals. Um, The bottom is fading from white to gray. There's a a rhythm to it. We talked about this with the the earlier music Mm -hmm. abstraction paintings. Um, It's repetition, it's spacing, it's intervals. Um, It's one-point perspective, really affirms and denies that you're looking at a landscape. Right, right. Um, She wants you to know that you're looking at a thing and then sort of challenges you to really dive deeper into the landscape um, and sort of feel the emotions of the painting. And it's different, you know? Yeah. It's it's, it's still her, but it's different. There's a different element to it that she really hasn't done before. 
And this is really towards the end of her career. She lived till to be 98, mm-hmm. which is insane. And she, yeah, like she had macular degeneration she couldn't see, but she worked on watercolors until the day she died. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite pieces of her. It's a lot more simple, simplistic than a lot of her other yeah, pieces. Yeah, absolutely. But just like the stark black it against... It gives me a little David Hockney. Do you see David Hockney? I mean, yeah, fuck David Hockney. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's the male genitalia. No, yeah, I see it. There, it's, it's very yeah. subtle. It's very subtle, but very bold. Mm-hmm. She's, she's using a... A much simpler palette, obviously. She's focusing much more on the contrast as opposed to the details that she typically uses. Mm-hmm. Um, like petals and, and now light. this is completely her interpretation. Mm-hmm. She, at this point, doesn't give a fuck about what you're seeing, right. what you're looking at. At this point, she's like solely concerned about what she's trying to portray. Right. And the emotion the mesh- she wants you and to the, em- the emotion that she wants you to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this piece. Yeah. It's so, like such a simple piece. Right. Very so different powerful. than, yeah, this is not depicting a vagina in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And I think that really she didn't want to do that right as much as i think that would be really awesome and badass it's not what she wanted the worcester art museum held a retrospective of her work in the 1960s and then 10 years later in the 1970s the whitney Mm -hmm. um still prominent still operating yeah um had a georgia o'keefe retrospective right and the Metropolitan has a, a huge collection. Huge. Yeah. And just two years after that, mm-hmm. 1972, O'Keefe started to lose her eyesight. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stopped painting without assistance in that same year. Right. So her series of work in, in watercolor started then. And then in that decade, in the 70s, her biography was a bestseller. Right. So she was really well-known in right. her time. And, so, and respected. And then one of her last, um, you know, honors was in 1977. Uh, she was right. awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which mm-hmm. is the highest honor a civilian mm-hmm. can get in From the United Reagan. States. Ooh. From Reagan. But, but I mean, whatever. Whatever. Beggars what do you can only choosers. do so much? Um, whatever. This is the 70s. <laughs> and in 1993, <laughs> she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. She's part of Judy Chicago. Shout out. We'll do her someday. And so, what year does she pass away, right? I don't know. What? Nineteen eighty six. She dies at the age of ninety eight. That's incredible. Get it, girl. Right. She was like, fuck it. Right. I'm she was blind for a decade and she still end. painted. Girl. And her works are still constantly being exhibited. Right. Um, She's very important. But one of the last notes that I will make is that one of her last works were sold for $44 million at Sotheby's auction. Right. Sounds like a huge number, mm-hmm. but in the grand scheme of things, it's a very low number for the right. art market. For sure it is. And it's just... It's just kind of an eye opener for how, if I had my laptop alive, I, <laughs> I, I would go deeper into this. But it just shows how little women representation is. Oh yeah, in the art market. I mean, forty four million is is a very slim number for a woman with such an intense museum caliber. Right. A household name. A there household are two name. women. I mean. There are a lot of women artists that mean a lot to me, mm-hmm. but to someone who who art isn't as important to, mm-hmm. whatever. Part of this podcast, part of the reason why I think we both wanted to start this is the accessibility of it, is that, like, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything, <laughs> but art really means something to me. Yeah. And it's accessible. Like, yeah. if me, a poor little brown girl, can come into a museum and really mm-hmm. feel something when they look at a painting, um, I think everyone can. So 
Georgia O'Keefe is a fucking household name. Like, that is important. A woman, a woman who was known in her time to really transcend this fucking glass elevator that men hold is is really important. And she, as much as you can say that, like, I don't know, whatever. Georgia O'Keefe means a lot to me (laughs) as a person, as a woman from the Southwest. So basically this podcast is just going to go deep into... Right, into the ladies. Female (laughs) artistry and who they are, what they've done, what they've achieved. Right, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) So hashtag the art... Hashtag... um, not qualified. Yes. <laughs> so this is this it? This is this wait, wait, wait. I want to know. Yeah. I want to know what Georgia O'Keefe means to you. I want to know why. I mean, she's important as a household name, household lady name I mean, of she artists. She is one of the first artists, not even female, okay, just but in she general. is one of the first artists that really captured me. As I was like super young in high school, I was already, you know, painting her calories, mm-hmm. you know, as like high school projects. So not even as like a female artist, as an artist in general, her subject matter, her color usage was always so profound to me. It was different. It was something I had never seen before. And the fact that it like later on as an adult, like it dawned on me that like, wait wait a minute, she's a woman and she she doesn't have that cloud that many of her counter like many of her colleagues do mm-hmm. her male colleagues at right. that time Picasso Picasso specifically <laughs> I love Picasso other modernist artists not yeah. to you know we are very she hates Picasso I, I love, hate Picasso I love Picasso. let it be known we're not talking about men on this, <laughs> on this no podcast, yeah we're not gonna shed any light <laughs> But she she was one of the first female artists that like really really showed me what it meant to be an artist, not mm-hmm. just as a female but as a person in general. And the fact that she's so well known, mm-hmm. but still isn't held at the same esteem. Right, she's not Picasso. She's not. Even though. But why she's isn't better she? Than yeah. So this is what this podcast is about. Right. I think. Uh, I think my, you know, everyone, everyone, their fucking grandmother has a podcast, but I think it's particularly difficult to talk about art in a way that feels... Art has always been for the elite. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, salons and... I think a lot of people don't feel like that applies to them, but it absolutely does. And I think... To me, Georgia O'Keefe especially, really, she came, she came from dairy farmers. Like, she was a small-town like, girl. Wisconsin. Who really did it. Who did it. And, yeah. And. And. Uh, that's it for Is us. that it? That's, this is. We're done. The art. You gotta look at the paper. Broadcast. Look at your notes. Um, me. Why? Yeah, this is the because oh, yeah, <laughs> you I forgot the title of the, the podcast. The art. This is episode one. Episode one. Okay. Slash maybe two. Do we have to split it up? No. Okay. Okay. Bye. And we're done with okay, this. Okay. See. Oh, we're gonna <laughs> do more Georgia at this point. See you, bitches, later. I don't know how to end this. See ya. And we're out. <laughs>